0: Section 17. The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Sinner. Written by himself, by James Hogg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The alarm in and about Glasgow was prodigious the country being divided into two political parties the court and the country party the former held meetings issued proclamations and offered rewards ascribing all to the violence of party spirit and deprecating the infernal measures of their opponents i did not understand their political differences but it was easy to see that the true gospel preachers joined all on one side and the upholders of pure morality and a blameless life on the other so that this division proved a test to us and it was forthwith resolved that we too should pick out some of the leading men of this unsaintly and heterodox cabal and cut them off one by one as occasion should suit now the ice being broke i felt considerable zeal in our great work but pretended much more and we might soon have kidnapped them all through the ingenuity of my patron had not our next attempt miscarried by some awkwardness or mistake of mine the consequence was that he was discovered fairly and very nigh seized I also was seen, and suspected so far that my reverend father, my mother, and myself were examined privately. I denied all knowledge of the matter, and they held it in such a ridiculous light, and their conviction of the complete groundlessness of the suspicion was so perfect, that their testimony prevailed, and the affair was hushed. I was obliged, however, to walk circumspectly, and saw my companion the prince very seldom, who was prowling about every day, quite unconcerned about his safety. He was every day a new man, however, and needed not to be alarmed at any danger, for such a facility had he in disguising himself that, if it had not been for a password which we had between us, for the purposes of recognition, I never could have known him myself. It so happened that my reverend father was called to Edinburgh about this time, to assist with his counsel in settling the national affairs. At my earnest request I was permitted to accompany him, at which both my associate and I rejoiced, as we were now about to move in a new and extensive field, All this time, I never knew where my illustrious friend resided. He never once invited me to call on him at his lodgings, nor did he ever come to our house, which made me sometimes to suspect that, if any of our great efforts in the cause of true religion were discovered, he intended leaving me in the lurch. Consequently, when we met in Edinburgh, for we traveled not in company. I proposed to go with him to look for lodgings, telling him at the same time what a blessed religious family my reverend instructor and I were settled in. He said he rejoiced at it, but he made a rule of never lodging in any particular house, but took these daily or hourly as he found it convenient, and that he never was at a loss in any circumstance. What a mighty trouble you put yourself to, great sovereign, said I. And all, it would appear, for the purpose of seeing and knowing more and more of the human race. I never go but where I have some great purpose to serve, returned he, either in the advancement of my own power and dominion, or in thwarting my enemies. With all due deference to your great comprehension, my illustrious friend, said I. It strikes me that you can accomplish very little, either the one way or the other here, in the humble and private capacity you are pleased to occupy. It is your own innate modesty that prompts such a remark, said he. Do you think the gaining of you to my service Is not an attainment worthy of being envied by the greatest potentate in Christendom? Before I had missed such a prize as the attainment of your services, I would have travelled over one half of the habitable globe. I bowed with great humility, but at the same time, how could I but feel proud and highly flattered? He continued, Believe me, My dear friend, for such a prize I account no effort too high. For a man who is not only dedicated to the King of Heaven in the most solemn manner, soul, body, and spirit, but also chosen of Him from the beginning, justified, sanctified, and received into a communion that never shall be broken, and from which no act of His shall ever remove Him, The possession of such a man, I tell you, is worth kingdoms, because every deed that he performs, he does it with perfect safety to himself and honor to me." I bowed again, lifting my hat, and he went on. I am now going to put his courage in the cause he has espoused to a severe test to a trial at which common nature would revolt. But he who is dedicated to be the sword of the Lord must raise himself above common humanity. You have a father and a brother according to the flesh. What do you know of them? I am sorry to say I know nothing good, said I. They are reprobates, castaways, beings devoted to the wicked one and like him, workers of every species of iniquity with greediness." "'They must both fall,' said he, with a sigh and melancholy look. "'It is decreed in the councils above that they must both fall by your hand.' "'The God of heaven forbid it!' said I. "'They are enemies to Christ and his church, that I know and believe.' But they shall live and die in their iniquity for me, and reap their guerdon when their time cometh. There my hand shall not strike. The feeling is natural and amiable, said he. But you must think again. Whether are the bonds of carnal nature or the bonds and vows of the Lord strongest? I will not reason with you on this head, mighty potentate, said I. For whenever I do so, it is but to be put down. I shall only express my determination not to take vengeance out of the Lord's hand in this instance. It availeth not. These are men that have the mark of the beast in their foreheads and right hands. They are lost beings themselves, but have no influence over others. Let them perish in their sins for they shall not be meddled with by me. How preposterously you talk, my dear friend, said he. These people are your greatest enemies. They would rejoice to see you annihilated. And now that you have taken up the Lord's cause of being avenged on his enemies, wherefore spare those that are your own as well as his? Besides you ought to consider what great advantages would be derived to the cause of righteousness and truth were the estate and riches of that opulent house in your possession, rather than in that of such as oppose the truth and all manner of holiness. This was a portion of the consequence of following my illustrious adviser's summary mode of procedure that had never entered into my calculation. I disclaimed all idea of being influenced by it. However, I cannot but say that the desire of being enabled to do so much good by the possession of these bad man's riches made some impression on my heart, and I said I would consider of the matter. I did consider it, and that right seriously as well as frequently and there was scarcely an hour in the day on which my resolves were not animated by my great friend, till at length I began to have a longing desire to kill my brother, in particular. Should any man ever read this scroll, he will wonder at this confession and deem it savage and unnatural. So it appeared to me at first. But a constant thinking of an event changes every one of its features. I have done all for the best, and as I was prompted by one who knew right and wrong much better than I did, I had a desire to slay him, it is true, and such a desire, too, as a thirsty man has to drink. But at the same time, this longing desire was mingled with a certain terror, as if I had dreaded that the drink for which I longed was mixed with deadly poison. My mind was so much weakened, or rather softened about this time, that my faith began a little to give way, and I doubted most presumptuously of the least tangible of all Christian tenets, namely, of the infallibility of the elect. I hardly comprehended the great work I had begun, and doubted of my own infallibility, or that of any created being. But I was brought over again by the unwearied diligence of my friend to repent of my backsliding, and view once more the superiority of the Almighty's counsels in its fullest latitude. Amen. I prayed very much in secret about this time, and that with great fervor of spirit, as well as humility, and my satisfaction at finding all my requests granted is not to be expressed. My illustrious friend still continuing to sound in my ears the imperious duty to which I was called, of making away with my sinful relations and quoting many parallel actions out of the scriptures and the writings of the holy fathers of the pleasure the lord took in such as executed his vengeance on the wicked i was obliged to acquiesce in his measures though with certain limitations it was not easy to answer his arguments and yet i was afraid that he soon perceived a leaning to his will on my part If the acts of Jua in rooting out the whole house of his master, were ordered and approved of by the Lord, said he, would it not have been more praiseworthy if one of Ahab's own sons had stood up for the cause of the God of Israel, and rooted out the sinners and their idols out of the land? It would certainly, said I. To our duty to God, all other duties must yield. Go thou, then, and do likewise, said he. Thou art called to a high vocation, to cleanse the sanctuary of thy God in this thy native land by the shedding of blood. Go thou, then, like a ruling energy, a master spirit of desolation in the dwellings of the wicked. And high shall be your reward both here and hereafter. My heart now panted with eagerness to look my brother in the face, on which my companion, who was never out of the way, conducted me to a small square in the suburbs of the city, where there were a number of young noblemen and gentlemen playing at a vain, idle, and sinful game at which there was much of the language of the accursed going on. And among these blasphemers he instantly pointed out my brother to me. I was fired with indignation at seeing him in such company and so employed, and I placed myself close beside him to watch all his motions, listen to his words, and draw inferences from what I saw and heard in what a sink of sin was he wallowing i resolved to take him to task and if he refused to be admonished to inflict on him some caught in punishment and knowing that my illustrious friend and director was looking on i resolved to show some spirit accordingly i waited until i heard him profane his maker's name three times And then, my spiritual indignation being aroused above all restraint, I went up and kicked him. Yes, I went boldly up and struck him with my foot, and meant to have given him a more severe blow than it was my fortune to inflict. It had, however, the effect of rousing up his corrupt nature to quarreling and strife instead of taking the chastisement of the Lord in humility and meekness. He ran furiously against me in the choler that was always inspired by the wicked one. But I overthrew him, by reason of impeding the natural and rapid progress of his unholy feet running to destruction. I also fell slightly, but his fall proved a severe one he arose in wrath and struck me with the maul which he held in his hand until my blood flowed copiously and from that moment i vowed his destruction in my heart but i chanced to have no weapon at that time nor any means of inflicting due punishment on the cadiff, which would not have been returned double on my head by him and his graceless associates I mixed among them at the suggestion of my friend, and following them to their den of voluptuousness and sin, I strove to be admitted among them, in hopes of finding some means of accomplishing my great purpose, while I found myself moved by the spirit within me so to do. But I was not only debarred, but by the machinations of my wicked brother and his associates, cast into prison. I was not sorry at being thus honored to suffer in the cause of righteousness and at the hands of sinful men. And as soon as I was alone, I betook myself to prayer, deprecating the long-suffering of God toward such horrid sinners. My jailer came to me and insulted me, he was a rude unprincipled fellow partaking of those loose and carnal manners of the age but i remembered of having read in the cloud of witnesses of such men formerly having been converted by the imprisoned saints so i set myself with all my heart to bring about this man's repentance and reformation "'Fat Dell are ye yewlin' and prayin' that gate for man,' said he, coming angrily in. "'I thought the days of prayin' prisoners had been o'er. Ye hath roweth in them ain'ts, and they were the poorest and the blackest bargains that ever poor jailer saw. "'Gee up your crooning, or I'll pit you to an inn by place, where ye shall get plenty o' it.' Friend, said I, I am making my appeal at the bar where all human actions are seen and judged, and where you shall not be forgot, sinful as you are. Go in peace, and let me be. Hay ye nae body near hand hame to make your appeal to man, said he, because, and ye hae nae, I dread you and me, May be uncou weel acquainted by and by. I then opened up the mysteries of religion to him in a clear and perspicuous manner, but particularly the great doctrine of the election of grace, and then I added, Now friend, you must tell me if you pertain to this chosen number. It is in every man's power to ascertain this and it is every man's duty to do it. And fat the better wa ye be for the kinning of this man, said he. Because, if you are one of my brethren, I will take you into sweet communion and fellowship, returned I. But, if you belong to the unregenerated, I have a commission to slay you. The dale you hay, Callant," said he, gaping and laughing. AND PRAY NOW, FA was it, THAT GAY YOU A BRAW COMMISSION! MY COMMISSION IS SEALED BY THE SIGNET ABOVE, SAID I, AND THAT I WILL LET YOU AND ALL SINNERS KNOW I AM DEDICATED TO IT BY THE MOST SOLEMN VOWS AND ENGAGEMENTS. I AM THE SWORD OF THE LORD, AND FAMINE AND PESTILENCE ARE MY SISTERS. WOE THEN TO THE WICKED OF THIS LAND! FOR THEY MUST FALL DOWN DEAD TOGETHER, THAT THE CHURCH MAY BE PURIFIED. OH, FOOL, FOOL, I SEE HOW IT IS, SAID HE. YOURS IS A VERY BRAW COMMISSION, BUT YOU WILL HAVE THE SMALL OPPORTUNITY OF CARRYING IT THROUGH HERE. TAKE MY ADVISING, AND WRITE A BIT OF A LETTER TO YOUR FRIENDS, AND I WILL SEND IT, FOR THIS IS NO PLACE FOR SUCH A GREAT MAN. If you cannot steady your hand to write, as I see you have been at your great work, a word of a mouth may do. For I do assure you this is not the place at all, of any in the world, for your operations. The man apparently thought I was deranged in my intellect. He could not swallow such great truths at the first morsel. So I took his advice and sent a line to my reverend father, who was not long in coming, and great was the jailer's wonderment when he saw all the great Christian noblemen of the land sign my bond of freedom. My reverend father took this matter greatly to heart, and bestirred himself in the good cause till the transgressors were ashamed to show their faces. My illustrious companion was not idle. I wondered that he came not to me in prison, nor at my release. But he was better employed in stirring up the just to the execution of God's decrees, and he succeeded so well that my brother and all his associates had nearly fallen victims to their wrath. But many were wounded, bruised, and imprisoned, and much commotion prevailed in the city. For my part, I was greatly strengthened in my resolution by the anthemus of my reverend father, who privately, that is, in a family capacity, in his prayers, gave up my father and brother, according to the flesh, to Satan, making it plain to all my senses of perception that they were being given up of God, to be devoured by fiends of men, at their will and pleasure and that whosoever should slay them would do God good service. End of section 17